It's Wednesday, June 18th, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome back to The Secrets. I'm New York Times bestselling author Michael A. Stackpole, and I'm here to help you with your writing, and this is Series 5 of The Secrets, and I've called it The Future, because this is really what we're looking at. We're looking at where fiction is going and what the demands are going to be made on us as writers because of all this new media. It's uh, really a very exciting time to be out there. And the cool thing is, is that, you know, I know that I'm talking to people who are going to be able to handle what's coming along because just by dint of the fact that you're listening to podcasts, you are the people who are adaptive to new media. In fact, those of you who are reading on an iPod Touch, for example, or on an iPhone who are listening to this on an iPod Touch or an iPhone, getting a little ahead of myself there, will soon be able to read fiction on your iPod or your iPhone so that those times when you're standing in line and they don't allow you to use a cell phone and you don't want to put those earphones in suddenly you're gonna have something to read it's gonna be a very very exciting time for us as we go for uh, go forward as writers this time however is gonna make some demands on us and this is not just technical demands of figuring out how to load things up to websites and what FTP means and all that sort of nonsense it's really going to make some make some demands on how we tell stories. Now, in the last episode, I brushed over a lot of this, and I want to get into a lot more in the way of uh, specifics. However, as is my want, I tend to dwell a little bit on setting up the foundation. So I want you to ask yourselves, what does a story cost? Not from the writer's side. What does a story cost from the uh, reader's side? I mean, what does it cost you to read a story? And I think if you look at it, you end up coming up with three, three cost areas. One is money. Now, money can either be trivial in terms of, uh, you know, you, you go to a garage sale and you find somebody selling uh, five or six paperbacks for a dollar and you pick them up and so that's an absolutely trivial cost or as I mentioned last time I'm looking at selling short stories and novels for two to four dollars relatively speaking that is a trivial cost it's less than the cost of a cup of coffee at Starbucks so we know how to contain that sort of cost you know when is the cost not trivial uh, when you've got to go out to a bookstore when you're looking at a twenty four dollar ninety five cent uh, hardback when it's costing you $24.95 in gasoline to actually get to the bookstore, um, these things do get very expensive. So the money cost can be a factor in there, but with new media, we can be lowering the cost. And why is that? Well, when you think about it, and it's, it's really been funny because I've seen certainly over my reading life and over the life of my career, the growth of bigger books. Now, a chunk of that, if you look at the, if you look at books, uh, predating about 1983, especially in the science fiction area, and books going from 
1988 on. You see that the books are significantly thicker, and one of the reasons for that was the advent of a lot of female writers who were doing more with characters than guys did. But guys have caught up, and, and we're all basically doing more with characterization. And this is why now we begin to get longer and longer books. And the reason publishers were willing to look at longer and longer books is because readers wanted to get more for their money. But when we say they wanted to get more for their money, what are we actually referring to? They were going to get more story for their money? Or the, the, what determined how much they were going to be paying was actually the cost of paper? And I think if you look at the price, I mean, I was just reading through some uh, old Doc Savage novels that I picked up back when I was in high school. So that would have been, got out of high school in 75. And we're looking at uh, a rather slender novel, about 100 pages, costing 60 cents uh, back then. You know, you look at, uh, well, there are no novels that are running about 100 pages uh, now, but you look at the commiserate cost for... Uh, a novel which is roughly three times that length in words, 150,000 word novel now, is probably going to run you $8 in terms of paperback, and again, $25 if you're looking at a hardback. So you can see that the, the, the driving cost has not been the amount of words that are going into that package. The driving cost has been the amount of wood that is going into that package. And the bigger the books, the more they cost to transport, the more room they take up in a warehouse. So this, this is a very definitely a problem. Uh, and just as alluded to, a uh, second cost of, of books and stories is space. You know, raise your right hand, and you can do this even if you're on a bus. Raise your right hand. Don't if you're driving and need to shift. That's not a good idea, but... Raise your right hand if you have stacks of books sitting around. No, come on, all of you do. I know you do. I mean, I've got tons and tons and tons. I just had to redo one of my shelves uh, just because of books. I mean, books that I've got, um, anthologies I've got stories in and stuff like that. I just had to clear another whole shelf to be able to fit a chunk of those in so they're not lying crosswise. And I still have a lot of books that are still lying crosswise um, and shelves that are groaning. Um, we all do that. Uh, books uh, take up a lot of space, and that's not really a, a big problem because a lot of us find that very um, satisfying, I guess. The other thing that books uh, do, however, if you're looking at getting on a plane, is it, books carry weight. I mean, and when was the last time you really wanted to be hauling a hardback with you on a plane or on vacation? Yeah, you know, not very often. And I often look at a paperback, and if I'm halfway through a paperback and know I will finish it, I won't bring it with me. I'll leave it behind because I'll take another book that I know I'm just going to need that one book and start that new book since I'm going to be carrying that weight and presumably reading on the way out and on the way back. The biggest cost, however, is time. And I think this cost is one that people are beginning to see more and more. You look at something like TiVo. What does TiVo do? TiVo allows you to capture what would be a one-hour entertainment experience, to experience it whenever you want to, and it gives you the ability to fast-forward and move through ads and those things. Or, if you think about it, it's exactly what you're doing with podcasts. You are time-shifting. You can look at this podcast and you can say, Okay, this podcast is going to go a half an hour. Do I have a half an hour uh, in time to listen to it? And people tend to select their playlists and figure out what they're going to do 
based on the amount of time that they're going to have to commit to it. And this is just me listening to people and listening to what people end up saying in conversation. I think the time cost becomes a far more determinative factor in how people look at what they're going to do for entertainment than the actual money cost. And I think this becomes especially true, and the written word becomes a brilliant alternative if you look at the cost of the written word going down to the individual consumer and a finite or a known amount of time that they're going to have to commit. This is going to get a little tricky, and so this gets to be kind of interesting. And just, and just to point out that whole time cost thing, when you think about the, the last Harry Potter book that came out, what was amazing, nobody complained about the price. What they were amazed about was that teenagers were willing to lock themselves in their rooms for 6, 8, 10, 12 hours and actually consume that thing. That was the odd thing. You know, just as odd as someone saying, okay, this weekend we're going to have a Lord of the Rings movie marathon. And even if they did that, that'd only be 8 hours. I mean, but, you know, Harry Potter you're spending 12, 14 hours with? Holy mackerel. That's a lot. But again, nobody complained about the nobody complained about the cost. And if you view the cost of DVDs for that Lord of the Rings marathon versus the cost of a Harry Potter book, it's actually, you know, again, uh, the book becomes a really good entertainment value. You have to look at the fact that the dominant storytelling paradigm, certainly since the advent of radio, and I would say we can carry it much further back, and I made a case for this in the last show, is the episodic story. This is a story in which heroes have continuing adventures. And the modification, the thing that people are looking for now, is that progression and growth of characters. I think that serial fiction, as I mentioned last time, is going to become very, very important. But I think serial fiction the way I'm talking about it here is different than just the serialized fiction from Charles Dickens's day. In Charles Dickens' day, authors were serializing stories in magazines, and so in every issue you would get two or three chapters. And if the story wasn't popular, you might not get any more. I think now, because people are impatient, because we are very much in this culture of we want it now, that these serial stories that we end up generating are going to have to be complete in and of themselves. And this is very, very important because we want to give the readers a feeling that they are satisfied, that they have gotten something for their money, that they have, in fact, gotten a deal, that we sit down and we provide them the entertainment that we have promised to provide them. To serialize a story that isn't complete, to have chapter one and then chapter two and then chapter three and then chapter four, you know, looking at 40 chapters down the line, I don't think you're going to get many people that will buy stuff until A, either it's complete, and even then they might not because the cumulative cost would be too high. Uh, this would be akin to a singer in a bar singing the first verse of a story and then waiting for people to go ahead and tip him until he does the second verse and so on and so on and so on. Um, it's just not a very satisfying uh, uh, thing that, that um, for people to experience in terms of, of entertainment. I mean, nobody likes begathons on public 
television or in, in public radio because they seem to be holding uh, a, a hostage the next second of, of a show. So we don't really want to do that. Now, what's interesting is this. Because time cost is big and because people want to be able to do things in a set time, I mentioned last time, you know, the whole idea of the half-hour commute that you tell a story that can be read satisfactorily in half-hour commutes. It's kind of interesting. The BBC, uh, the British Broadcasting Company, does a lot with radio, and I, I heartily recommend that you go out to bbc.co.uk. Uh, you can go to their radio thing. You can stream their radio shows. They've got a lot of podcasts you can pull down. I listen to them all the time. And, and uh, BBC7 especially does a lot with audio drama. But BBC has a rate of word delivery which is roughly three words per second so that is your that is your reading voice three words per second people read slightly faster than that but three words per when they're when they're not reading out loud when they read internally they read slightly faster than that but that is a good pace and curiously enough what you end up with is a half an hour runs roughly it runs just over 5,000 words. Now, if you've been a listener to this podcast, or if you subscribe to my secret newsletter, and I will be talking more about that as we go forward, one of the things you know that I advocate very, very strongly is having chapters that are no longer than 2,500 to 3,000 words long. That's roughly 10 to 12 manuscript pages. There is a very good reason for that, and it is simply this. Think about how you read. You're lying in bed, you're getting tired, and you flip forward to the end of the chapter just to see how many pages there are. If the end of the chapter is only two or three pages off, you'll keep reading until you get the end of it because then you can just slip the bookmark in and you're done. If it's longer than that, bookmark goes in right now, lights out. Well, if you're doing chapters that are 2,500 to 3,000 words long, and really you try for the 2,500, the ending of the chapter is always going to be two or three pages long. Then what you do, and this is the important thing, and here's a writing technique for you. You end the chapter with what I refer to as a button. Or you end the chapter with what I refer to, or a lot of people refer to, as a cliffhanger. Now, a button is very simple. A button is something where a character says something and lets the reader know something that the reader has not known, a, a shocking fact. And I just jotted one down here. Imagine we're in a Sherlock Holmes story, and, uh, and it ends like this. Well, that ends, uh, that ends that, said Lestrade, standing over the body of Jack the Ripper. Save for one thing, said Sherlock Holmes. Yes, Mr. Holmes, the inspector looked at him expectantly. Holmes smiled. We still need to learn who's behind these murders. Well, boom, you end a chapter right there. With they, they, Jack the Ripper's dead. Uh, they're standing over his body. The murders are all done. And all of a sudden, Holmes drops his bombshell that we still don't know who's behind the murders. Are you putting that book down? Heck no. You're reading on to that next chapter. And if that next chapter ends in a little bombshell like that, you will read on to the next chapter and on to the next chapter and on to the next chapter. I've done this with novels, and I think I've mentioned on in, in the shows before, I have gotten email from people, and it, 
and I love it because it's time stamped at, you know, two in the morning. And the email says, I started reading your book at seven last night. I just put it down. I, you know, I just finished it. I couldn't put it down. And, you know, if people read through a book like that, they think it's good. Um, this is, uh, and of course my books are brilliant, but, uh, the fact is the reason that they read through it that way is because I do this. I end with cliffhangers. I end with things that make you want to go on and read the next set and read the next set and keep going. We can do this for material that we will deliver serially and we will keep people going forward. I do think that, uh, uh, Shorter fiction is going to be the way to go. I, I, you know, the mega novels will still be out there because this paradigm, the publishing paradigm is still going to be there and you will still pay for, you pay high paper prices for long books. And I think long books will translate well into the electronic format. But I think the things that are going to be bringing people back again and again and again are shorter serial works. Uh, shorter fiction does have certain limitations. One of the limitations is that you don't have that much room to be doing characterization. So you aren't going to have that much room to be growing characters in a significant basis. However, you do have the luxury of having a series of stories through which you can grow characters. Again, if you look at the Sherlock Holmes canon, Holmes, well, Holmes really doesn't grow at all during those stories, but we learn little bits and pieces about him over the course of the stories. Every so often, Conan Doyle drops a new fact in, like, hey, here's Mycroft. And, you know, later on, we get another story with Mycroft. Or, you know, here's the one woman that, that Sherlock Holmes ever loved. So we do get these little pieces of things dropped in, and it's those little factoids, it's those little things that keep readers coming back because they want to learn more. And, and so, you know, there is a, there's a little trick for you. Don't always tell them everything. Hint at things. Make them think about them, because if they think about them, if they go, oh, what was meant like, well, you know, what was meant by that? Then, you know, I mean, if one character says to another one, oh, I got a call from my ex-wife, and his buddy says, which one? And he says, ex-wife number three, the one I actually liked. Well, now all of a sudden you're sitting there going, okay, if it's ex-wife number three, is he on wife number four? And if ex-wife number three was the one that he liked, what about two and what about one? You know, what exactly is going on here? And the reader will be sitting there and be trying to figure this stuff out. And, and what that does is that that gets them invested in the story. It makes them think. And that will bring them back. And if you hint at that stuff, I mean, if that little piece of dialogue right there is in the middle of a story and they go on, you know, dismissing wife number three because they've got more important things to do, but wife number three gets mentioned or wife number two gets mentioned, or then you have a story where God help us, you know, the door gets kicked open and there's wife number one uh, looking like Terry Hatcher out of Desperate Housewives, but, you know, packing an M16 and dressed like Rambo. All of a sudden, you know, the reader's going to be sitting there going, okay, well, this is different. So these are cool things that we're going to be able to do. Um, you'll get to spread that characterization and that discovery out over stories. And then what you're able to do, just as I alluded to, when you have the Terry Hatcher kicks down the door story, that becomes a focus story and we get to go in depth there. And yet we get to have more hints. You know, you're not going to learn everything about his life with that wife in that one story. And there will be hints. And out of those hints, you can build new stories. 
I mentioned earlier that I had uh, reread some Doc Savage novels uh, recently, and this was part of putting together the book on serial fiction and some of my thoughts about serial fiction after that. The Pulp Adventures, uh, The Shadow, Doc Savage, G8 and his Battle Aces, The Avenger, uh, there were just dozens and dozens and dozens of these uh, adventure pulps, were very, very successful. Every month you would have a 50,000 word novel coming out. Uh, in the case of The Shadow, every two weeks you would have a new 50,000 word novel coming out. Just imagine hitting that production schedule. And you had readers that would read over and over and over. I mean, they, they would come back. These things cost a dime, which was a fortune back in the 30s. And they would keep coming back. Why? Because these were characters that interested them. And these were adventures that, uh, you know, a lot of people postulate you'd read these, read these adventures because these heroes were all rich and had money, which nobody back in the days of, of the Depression did. Uh, I'm looking at for serial fiction now doing something that I'm referring to as neopulps. The whole idea of having these great adventures and, and certainly mysteries and mystery series stories would fall into this classification. I'm just looking at doing it with science fiction and I'm going back to the pulps because I really like that sense of adventure. That idea that there are things out there that we can discover and that there are characters that are, uh, are we're going to be interested in and we're going to watch and, and have them grow. However, there are differences. The tastes today for our audience are different. When I was going through the Doc Savage novels, there were still great bits that I absolutely loved, but there were also bits that didn't, uh, didn't work. There were things that were fine for them and things that they lack now that, that we expect to find. One is characterization. You need characterization. You need internal struggles. In the Doc Savage novels, for example, there really was no progression of the character's Doc or any of his aides. They were either there or they weren't. Um, you know, every story was absolutely episodic. There was no carryover story. I think there was one villain that showed up twice. There were certain elements that got referred to, but there were no ongoing storylines, which, like the ex-wives, could rise then into a focus episode. So that's something that we want to be able to inject back in there. Two, there wasn't as much of an availability of addressing themes. While there were in some of the stories some, some very pointed political statements made, uh, these were not the focus of what was going on. And so we have the ability to, to go ahead and do that. What do I mean by that? Look, science fiction and fantasy have always been good at allegory, or not, not so much allegory, as much as giving you perspective to view a particular problem. Some of the stories that I'm selling off my website, one that I am very, very proud of, probably one of my best short stories, um, is called uh, Least of My Brethren, and it's set in my Purgatory Station uh, story uh, universe. It's a story about a Catholic priest who is given a moral problem to wrestle with. And, and most all of the Purgatory Station stories are, in fact, like that. And why did I do that? Because by introducing a subject, say, like abortion, as being integral to an alien culture, we suddenly get to look at it from a different perspective than we do when looking at it here today. I mean, it's very easy. If someone walks up to you and says, you know, abortion, you pro-choice or you pro-life, everybody's got an opinion and you're willing to discuss that case. But what do you do when essentially abortion is a sacrament in another culture and they've got very good reasons for it? 
Does it still become murder? How do we examine this? And just the fact that, hey, it's a new challenge to that idea opens us up to that ability to look at things. And so that's what I look at in, in terms of larger theme type stuff. You know, the, the third thing, of course, that you get with these adventures and these shorter adventures is that they're built on a case. And that's, you know, that's just designing a mystery. That's putting together things that uh, we all know how to do. And so this becomes a place where we get to develop a new type of fiction. The other thing you get to do with uh, new media, and I'm really excited about this. I've mentioned in the past that I do a lot in Second Life, and I'm doing even more. One of the cool things is some of the neopulps that I'm looking to develop are, are very much in the Doc Savage and Shadow Mold. And so I have a character, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Charon. And um, Dr. Charon will end up having a lot of these adventures. I haven't sat down and, and penned any of them yet. But one of the things I was able to do in Second Life, which is just a lot of fun, was to sit down and I created a museum of artifacts from Dr. Charon's career. And if you come into Second Life, uh, just go to secondlife.com. The software is free to download uh, and you can come in and play. But if you come to Third Life Books, which is where I hang out, um, and you go to Dr. Charon's museum, what you see is, is literally a museum with display cases just chock full of artifacts. And everyone has got a little note attached to it. And you can read those notes. And every one of those notes is about a five-paragraph summation of a Dr. Charon adventure. This is just a wonderful way to use the new media, to use computers, to get people to come in and to look at your work. One of the coolest things when we opened up the museum for some people to go through, they were going through, and the comments were, when are these stories coming out? I want to read this adventure. So we can use new medium, we can use new stuff to be able to excite people and draw them in. So what I would love, love for you to think about as you're, as you're thinking about stories and how you're going to do stuff. As I mentioned last time, you know, go ahead and work on your novels. Go ahead and generate short stories. I think that that's very, very important because those are things that you can sell off of your, uh, off of your uh, website. And um, if you guys are interested, one of the future podcasts that I'll probably do is talk about all the things you can do in terms of publicity uh, with a website, which would also include things like this podcast. But I also want you to think about how do you develop properties or how do you develop a character story such that you can do a series of, say, four or five, seven to 10,000 word stories, which then you could release on a serial basis. You watch the character develop. You're looking at cases being solved. You're looking at characters being changed and things moving forward. Think about that and then think about how do you move this stuff out to, say, the realm of 50,000 words. Okay, let's get to the commercial part of, of this, and I'll just bring you up to speed on, on some of the stuff that, uh, that I've been doing. First of all, if you would like to go to jchutchins.net, that's J-C-H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S dot net. Um, J.C. Hutchins is the author of the very successful successful Seventh Son podcast novel series, and I just did a piece for him called Obsidian. I think my story is episode six, and it's this really cold and chilling story, and I'd love for you guys to be able to listen to it. I had a blast writing it, even more fun recording it. It's just one of those uh, one of those little 20-minute uh, yeah, uh, pieces of, uh, of fiction that uh, you probably don't want to read in, in the dark, um, especially during a blackout, but I had a lot of fun with it. 
I recommend you go over and uh, take a look at it. Listen to all his other stuff. Uh, JC's stuff is just great, and uh, and and I recommend it. And uh, he, you know, he's a model of someone who's absolutely using this new media in the best ways um, uh, possible. Um, I want to point out that uh, the Secrets newsletter just started, Volume Five, Issue One Hundred and One, just came out. I know the vast majority of you don't subscribe. I would love to have you subscribe because a lot of what I'm going to talk about in these podcasts also gets covered far more in depth in the newsletter. A lot more examples, a lot more concrete stuff, and it's right there, and you don't have to forward back and forth. You can you can read it, and you can go through these things. What I have done in my store at stormwolf.com, I'd love to have you come over there, is I've set up a special coupon code. For anyone who listens to this podcast, if you sign up for the store and uh, you purchase $40 worth of material, use the coupon code PODCAST, just type in the word PODCAST, all lowercase, and you'll get 20% off on your order. And this is a virtual product you can pull down. One of the things that you'll be able to pull down, you can pull down my uh, uh, How to Build Worlds uh, set of back issues. You can pull down a a plotting set of back issues. You can pull down a characterization set of uh, back issues. You can pull down the rules of writing. You can get a subscription to the newsletter. Or you can also get the serial fiction book, which talks a lot more in how to structure and how to set up serial fiction, especially in how to design mystery cases. Uh, for uh, going forward, again, is a really good basis for being able to do this serial fiction. I really do think the future is um, the future is calling for us to make changes. Storytelling has been around for a long time, and it has gone through a bunch of weird warping, especially as driven by the fact that there are people just selling these hunks of dead wood. I think we get back to being entertainers and we get back to delivering what we want our readers to deliver. One of the other cool things that I've been doing recently is I have been working with a developer and we'll announce this when it all comes through about actually putting fiction on the iPod. I've got some stuff on my website which works on the iPod Touch or works on video iPods, I have been told. And, um, and, and that's all cool, but this is actually going to be able to, to go straight onto your thing as an application. Um, I've been playing with prototypes. It looks dynamite. I mean, it really, um, and just the way we're looking at, um, if, if I've done the math right, you could end up with 2,000 short stories sitting on your, uh, you know, sitting in one gig of an iPod Touch or on an iPhone. 2,000 stories. You know, that, that we will probably crack that back down. Let's see if it's a 10,000 word story, you know, crack that down to 200 of your favorite novels sitting on your iPod touch or on your iPhone. I mean, that is way wicked cool. So uh, these are things that are, that are fun. I also tried to put a novel up for the Kindle. I'm not sure how well that's working. Um, they supposedly, they're supposed to publish them in 72 hours and they, they haven't done that yet. So so we'll see how that goes forward. But this really is an exciting new era as as we are pushing forward. And I want all of you to be looking forward to it and profiting from it. Because it really is um, critical. We have the ability to shape the way written entertainment is going to be viewed from this point forward. Uh, the giant corporations just aren't there. They just don't understand it. 
and we can actually do this. And I hope that you will uh, come along with me, uh, keep stuff up. Remember, go to stormwolf.com. You can get sample issues of the secrets there. You can look at some of the fiction that I've got up. Uh, this coupon code podcast uh, you can use. You can pull down fiction. You can pull down a whole novel. I've got my novel Once a Hero is, is up there. And I'm looking at putting up some unpublished novels. Uh, so, you know, that'll be stuff to look forward to, I hope. Um, and, and like I say, I'm just really excited putting up new novels, putting up new stories, uh, getting all that sort of stuff going. I, I just think this is, uh, this is all great. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Again, thank you very much for uh, being with me. Um, hopefully within another two weeks, I'll get another one of these podcasts out. It's probably going to be a little bit later given that we've got, uh, I've got Origins that I have to go to, to a big gaming convention, and um, then the 4th of July holiday. But, uh, you know, stick with it. Look to the future. If you don't, you're going to get blindsided by it. And uh, I don't think any of you want that. And since you're already here, since you're listening to new media, since you already are on the cutting edge, let's put it, let's make sure that cutting edge is really, really sharp. And let's just carve ourselves out of future. Thank you very much. This podcast is copyright 2008, Michael A. Stackpole.